Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to Nestcast Live. It's August 18, 2020, and my name is Jim Chu in the Sierra Nevada mountains in California. Our goal with Nestcast Live is to have an open dialogue about topics relevant to investing and entrepreneurship in emerging markets. We want to hear firsthand from those who are investing and innovating in the global south. We hope to provide a platform to their voices and experiences so that we all benefit. And thanks to technology, we're able to involve audiences from Africa, Asia, North America, and around the world in an interactive session via Zoom. When I say interactive, I mean we want to hear from you in the audience. We left this forum open on purpose for questions and comments. So use that chat box, talk to others watching the show, ask questions, and make your view known. We'll do our best to bring audience comments and questions into the conversation. In the meantime, use it to introduce yourself, tell us who you are, what you do, which country you're from, and your opinion about today's topic. This conversation is recorded and available after the show on our YouTube channel and as a podcast at anchor.fm slash nestcastlive. You can find all of these links and more at findthenest.org. Now, over to our panel today. We have a group of investors and entrepreneurs working in Kenya. Timbo, would you like to start with introductions? Yeah, perfect. Um, hi, everyone. And thanks, Jim, for, for hosting us in this super important uh, discussion point. So um, my name is Timbo Drayson. I think there's a small typo there. Uh, I'm one of the co-founders and CEO of OK High. Um, originally from the UK, um, have a sort of technology background, was at Google for seven years, um, moved to Kenya to find a big problem to solve, um, which ended up being the lack of physical addressing system. Uh, and, you know, five, six years later, um, I am, you know, essentially now um, building the business. We've raised three rounds of funding. Uh, and, you know, this is a topic that I'm sort of become more increasingly aware of and very passionate about um, discussing and ultimately um, trying to address the problems. Great. Welcome to Nestcast Live. Mark. Hi, Jim. To the show. Uh, thanks. I'm really excited to, to be discussing on this inaugural uh, Nest Live. And I think it's a really interesting subject to sort of kick it off with. Um, so, uh, so my name is Mashiru Mark Kuria. Um, I know a few of the people on this panel, including Jim, and so it's it's nice to get to have frank conversation with with you know with you know uh, like-minded people who are in the same space. Um, so my background is I worked in the development space for a few years inside of university, uh, had a change of direction and heart to some extent, and went into the world of early stage investing uh, in East Africa and, and working with a family business and trying to change the dynamic around investing to sort of indigenous investors, taking chances on indigenous com companies and great companies from around the world, making a change in, uh, in East Africa. So happy to hear what we all say today. Great. And I'm curious, how many, how many uh, startups in Kenya have you and your group invested in in the last few years? So I think we're at a point of seven or eight now. Um, we will be updating our website soon. So great. We'll have that number Wonderful. Nine. All right, and Edith. Hi, um, so I'm on the other side. Uh, I'm an entrepreneur, um, social and serial. Um, so I currently run three separate companies. 
Um, the first one, job creation, has created about 12,000 jobs in Africa so far. We are in 11 African countries. Um, the second one, Ariel for Africa, which I'm currently listed under on this poster. Um, we work with um, SMEs and startups, support them, give them all the tools that they need, business knowledge, um, industry-specific curriculum, um, mentorship, one-on-one -on -one coaching, legal support, funding support, all the good stuff. Um, and we've been doing this in Kenya, Ghana, Nigeria, South Africa, and Uganda. Um, and then finally, Creative Brain Academy. We work with millennials. Um, and in terms of funding, I have actually not done um, a full-on investing round for any of these businesses. Okay, well, welcome to the program as well. Uh, we also had a fourth panelist, Tony. However, I don't think uh, he was able to join last minute. So uh, we will move on to the topic. Race and entrepreneurship in Africa, does it matter? So according to a number of sources of data, as we experienced anecdotally throughout, especially Kenya, expat founders in Kenya raise a lot more money for startups than local founders do. According to WeTracker, uh, Kenya-based startups raised a total of $428.9 million in 2019. Expat-founded startups got over 87% of that. Village Capital did a similar analysis in 2017 and had a similar result. What's going on here? Are we just all racist? Please chime in. Who'd like to start? Um, Jim, I, I think I think I can, uh, but I, I might I might sort of get some context and some history of the way I view it, rather than just jumping right to the what the problem might be. Um, so I, I, a while back, I've been I was having this conversation with a few entrepreneurs, friends, and, and investors that I know, and I started to frame uh, a history around so around um, what what's called Silicon Savannah and, and the investment space in East Africa and Kenya specifically. Um, that has led to sort of where we see this outcome, this is this point. And the way I framed it was in an idea of Silicon Savannah 1.0, 2.0, and 3.0. Uh, I, I saw Silicon Savannah 1.0 as the groundwork that created the disruptive space that we, we see in Nairobi and Kenya today in wider East Africa. And that was laid by companies like Safaricom creating M-Pesa and these game-changing innovations and the facilitative government environment at the time that incentivized these kind of early stage innovations. And so this, this groundwork was created by African companies and to some extent, international conglomerates working with, with local conglomerates. Um, but it was still a Kenyan flavor. Safaricom is a Kenyan product. And so this was the groundwork, but it, it also led to the creation of Silicon Savannah 2.0, where a lot of the international community understood something really interesting was going on in, in Kenya and East Africa. And it became a really attractive, viable place for them to come and start companies, perhaps at a, at a cheaper starting off point than in Europe or the United States. So I, what I thought Silicon Savannah 2.0 created that gulf, created that sort of startup ecosystem that was really rich with lots of fundraising, but with people who came from an opportunity that was maybe more Western um, and that, that strongly correlates with race. Um, and, and probably even within Silicon Savannah 2.0 and who comes across to East Africa, there's lots of, lots of race dynamics within that. But I think the hopeful side of the story is that Silicon Savannah 3.0 
is now where you see a mix of local founders that, who we are trying to support and great sort of international and local mixed companies like uh, Timbo at OK High. We're coming up with interesting um, Africa and global South-based solutions, but with a much more integrated and balanced view. Um, so I, I do think there's hope. I think there's change, but I think there's a lot within the thread of Silicon Savannah 2.0 that has a strong race bias within it. So, so Timbo, Edith, are, do you think you guys are part of um, Silicon Savannah 2.0, 3.0? Where, where are you guys? I, Timbo, do you want to go first or should I go? I go for it, Edith. Okay. Um, so I think in my opinion, right, um, and I've written quite a few articles on this on LinkedIn. Um, I'm known for being out there on this topic. Um, there's the element personally for me being um, an East African, right? So a Kenyan. And then there's also the view of me being a young African woman. So there are two separate perspectives here. So I think the conversation sort of affects me in two different ways. Um, and then when you look at it as say expat founders are 47,000%, right? So that's a recent article that came out more likely to be funded than I am. Let me put myself in that scenario that I am. Um, and also the fact that um, out of all the VC capital globally that's given to, um, to, to founders, right? There's a small percentage that's given to black founders. Then once you get to black founders, I think it's 0.006% that's given to black women founders, right? So there are two lenses here that um, I am personally viewed through. And as someone who has lived in different continents, right? So I have pitched all over the world, in Europe, in the US, everywhere, um, lived in all those countries. And when I pitch there, I'm told, go to your country, right? So I'm told, go back to Kenya. Then you get to Kenya and you speak, um, Ariel for Africa actually recently had the same conversation um, and uh, one of the people that we had on there was the CEO of a major VC firm. And she said openly right there that when it comes to social impact funding, they have been funding more white males compared to other, um, say, Kenyan-based founders. Yet, they are based in Kenya. They are for Kenyans. Um, then for me, honestly, I don't know which savannah I'm in. I just know the one that I'm in is one I'm upset with. So that's how I'm okay. going to put it. <laughs> so so you, you validated the stats that, that we talked about. So a lot more money goes to expat, especially white male founders. Yeah. So speaking yeah. as a white male, Timbo, what, what, uh, what's your, what's your uh, view on this? Yeah, great. I mean, <clears throat> I'm obviously, um, part of the, the, the data points, right, that are quoted, um, where there is a, a bias of investment. Um, and I suppose as, as you know, co-founder and, and, and CEO of the business and leading fundraising, um, you know, that has put me and, and the business in a fortunate position, right? There is no doubt in my mind um, that that bias exists. Um, and, you know, I think what I realized from having raised now 2.9 rounds, <laughs> almost closing the third round, um, is that look, fundraising is just extraordinarily difficult um, for startups anywhere in the world. Uh, now, 
what I can't imagine how hard it is, is doing it if you are marginalized in any way. And, you know, obviously the topic here was around race and uh, specifically, you know, black uh, founders trying to raise money. But I completely agree with Edith when you also combine the gender uh, issue around that and you are a black woman trying to raise money. Uh, honestly, you know, the reason why I'm here and so passionate is like, I find it so difficult and I'm on the privileged side. I can't imagine how hard it is. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, speaking really openly, it took me some time to understand this. Um, you know, when I was living in the UK, uh, this, I was working in and around the developer ecosystem across sub-Saharan Africa. Um, and I didn't really have a, a true understanding of this. Um, and it was only when I moved and actually have spent six, seven years in Kenya where um, I haven't sort of witnessed this firsthand. Of course, I've just been on the, on the privileged side, but I have observed, you know, these funds, which are predominantly uh, financing founders who are predominantly white and men. Um, and, you know, I also, from talking to a number of friends in the ecosystem, they've been able to educate me. And, you know, that's, I think, something that I would love to get out of today is understanding more from Edith and, and others, you know, their stories around uh, the challenges that they faced firsthand, because it took me a long time to realize that. Um, and I think these stories are really powerful because these, I think, are stories that we need to tell um, and we'll get more into the solutions, but um, it's an area that I think is really, really important for us to be sharing today. Sure, and we definitely want to hear some of the stories, but I guess I can, maybe I, I, I can ask an open question first. We've established very well that uh, there is an overwhelming bias. The question is why? Why is this happening? Is it racism, as some may contest? Is it something else going on? Mark, let me ask you as an investor, um, if we look at the, the eight or nine companies that you've invested in, how many have been ex-founders? So this is exactly what I wanted to sort of bring in now was to talk about the investor perspective and specifically an investor perspective of an African investor who's an indigenous African who mm -hmm. wants to add sort of my own sort of dent or change towards that system, right? Um, in terms of expat founders, um, it's only two at this point. So I, I think we've definitely managed to get that focus that we wanted um, without being thematically directed towards it. And so why do I think that this, this exists even now when you have investors from Kenya and investors from around the world still creating the same data skew? I, I think the problem starts with, for one, is perception. I think investors make easier choices about businesses they think are validated based on what they understand, right? There's a lot that plays into that, and there's a lot about social dynamics that play into that, and people do quicker make decisions on what, they, what they're familiar with. So this is just point one, is perceptions. And I think this is where the challenge of, of intersectional um, sort of biases that, like you just mentioned, Edith, uh, which I, I noticed all three of them are very important in different areas, black, female, young, right? So when you're in Kenya, right, with an, with an African investor, let's not call it an investor, let's call it um, 
a high net worth in Kenya who doesn't traditionally invest in startups, right? And then you come and say, hey, I'd like to get capital. I'd like to get investment, which is what a European company would do if they went to a, a high net worth in, in Europe. And so you'd come and then you'd already face young, problem one, right? You'd face female. Um, you might not face black, you might face tribe, right? Now, that's, that is the, a geography that's very new, right? If you're talking about African investors coming into startups, it's super new. If you go into the international sphere, which again, I, I invest in companies at, at an earlier stage, I have to then take those companies for their next rounds. So I understand these challenges. I understand you know, what the conversation is like with a, let's say, a 40-year-old African male founder going to a, a Californian one, right? Then he's now got the opposite side of, of the age uh, problem. He's got the race problem. He's got the culture problem. And these are things that I've directly seen. And there's the possibility. We have some companies who do challenge some of that, that bias, but it is extremely difficult. It is extremely rare. It is a, and then, and then it touches on the second one, which is access, but I won't get into that right now. But I think that the overriding one is, is perception. And then the second is, is access, which closely follows behind perception. Okay. So thank you from the perspective of an investor. You know, we actually have uh, some other investors in the audience today, uh, including, including uh, Kendall Burrett, who is an American investor living in Africa. Kendall, wh what are your thoughts on this? How many investments have you made in Africa? And what, uh, what percentage of them have been local investors, or I'm sorry, entrepreneurs versus expat? By the way, you haven't gotten off, Mark, on answering that specific question. So we're going to come back to you on that one. Kendall? Okay. I wasn't expecting to be on camera, so sorry. <laughs> but, <laughs> you look great, by the way. But um, so, so it's interesting. And OK High was actually my first, um, my first, one of my first angel investments in Africa. And, um, and to, be, to, be, to be fair, I was actually um, convinced initially by their CTO, who is Kenyan. So I met the CTO first, who was Kenyan. And then when I was in Nairobi, I met Timbo and his team, uh, and Galen. Um, and then I met and went and met the whole team at one point um, that had more gender diversity. Um, and I would say that for me personally, what I really look for now in almost every investment that I do now must have at least one female founder on it. The most recent investment I made had two female founders. Um, but comp in a more, more complicated way, they were both Americans who are working in Uganda. Um, so it, my, my whole, and you know, what I really look at now is, is diversity. I spent a few years writing a change management manual for a group called CGAP on how, to how companies can change to become more customer centric. Um, and what became very clear to me is that there's an innovation function that's very important in any company that wants to really serve their customers. And what's important is diversity um, and also a term that's sometimes used called outside-in innovation. So what I love to see is a team that's highly diverse across gender, um, across nationality, across life experiences. And that's really what I focus on. That's really what I focus on now. Um, I would say among my own investments, um, the majority have at least one female founder. There are a couple that have all male founders. Um, one that has two female founders, and that's, that's all the math I was able to do if Gray called on me. <laughs> but, um, but, but just to say that I've, I, I, it's now a very, it's, a, it's now been a very important factor when I look at making investments. 
Okay, well, thank you for that. So some, some of the audience members have commented that uh, the source of capital is quite important in this discussion. Individual versus institutional, local versus uh, international. And some have posited, well, maybe there's just a lot more money coming from international investors. And, you know, that's admitted. Um, you know, we all have our uh, in, uh, uh, intuitive biases and oftentimes, um, seed level or early startup investing is about gut feel and uh, and trust and so what would happen if we had more african hnis more african high net worth individuals uh, or angels investing in african startups would we see a change in that anybody want to address that question yeah please eat it you're yeah. nodding your I head i honestly please. think that this is what needs to happen um a lot of what I've been seeing even in the VC world globally and how um, more women have been sort of included here and there has been because you've had um, women setting up their own VC companies, right? So I think the same thing sort of needs to happen for Kenyans that we need to see more local um, investors. So Kenyans who we know they are, they are actually a lot of high net worth people. But the problem is there's a mindset of, um, let me put my money in real estate, right? I don't know who sold that narrative. I don't know why everybody bought it, but a lot of the really high net worth um, Kenyan people, right? Um, who have accumulated wealth over the years are people who, um, are more excited to put their money into um, the traditional investment. So like um, the real estate, you'll see some put into like different um, sorts of stock sorts of funding or um, fixed deposit, you know, that's really popular. Um, so I think what needs to happen is that there needs to be a mindset change in Mark's world, right? So he needs to start getting people like him, right? Um, Kenyans with high net worth to start doing what he is doing right so to start actually getting onto the angel investments the social impact investment side of things i know a lot of them think it's more risk right but at the same time now you have a situation where there are and i work with entrepreneurs every single day so if i even master i think someone's talking Okay, so if I eat it with two undergraduates and two masters is struggling, how much more the entrepreneurs that I work with, right? How much more the person who has an, not even an undergraduate, right? So forget me, because I'm on a higher, I, I have privilege and I acknowledge that, right? So I have an advantage in the sense that I am very well educated, but all of my companies have struggled to raise funding. I have an MSc in finance, right? It's not that we don't have our bases covered, but we have struggled because again, we're all female African founders. All of my companies across the board have female founders all the way. There's no male founder that I've ever worked with. Not a bias thing, an empowerment thing. Um, so again, that's a bias that we face. So I ask if this is me, right? How much more this entrepreneur that I'm working with, that I am building, where are they gonna get the money? From who? if everyone is investing in real estate or in equity or putting it into fixed deposit accounts. So. Yeah, uh, 100% agree. And I, I just, just gonna jump in there cause I have to jump into, in well, in a minute, but I wanna agree with everything Edith just said. That was exactly what I was gonna say. Uh, it starts off with this, this sort of asset bias 
Um, everyone believes in the traditional assets. Um, there's, a, there's a distinct lack of asset management as well who are focused on these kind of issues. No, no, you know, fund managers are pretty small, pretty much based within banks and selling very few products. And so they, there does need to be this mindset, mind, mindset shift, this generational shift, and people will, there, there will be a change when funders start to look like the, the founders that are coming to them. Um, so I, I'm going to have to jump. Uh, Jim, I might so, still duck so, this so, Yeah, so we're not going to let you duck this question. Of the companies that you've invested in, how many yeah. have been expat founders versus local founders? So it's two uh, expat two, founders. Two. Okay. Uh, one in okay. Agri. Uh, and, uh, and actually, I, I should, one of them is actually in the process of closing right now. So I, I shouldn't actually say two just yet. Okay. But pretty much two. Um, and and they are all local founders. And we're, we're proud of all of them. So, yeah. And then before you leave then, the second question is, when are you going to start a new venture fund with primarily focused on African LPs? You know, I actually really have been thinking about this. We, we started thinking about fund managing at the beginning of this year. We started off as a family office, but I do believe that the time is right. I, I, I hope we don't have to do it as, as a sort of blended way, you know, with international and African LPs. Uh, hopefully the demand sure. is crazy and we knock down our door, but we, we could actually maybe have some really good teams of LPs by doing it both ways. So I'll let you know, you'll be the first to know, Jim. Bit of a joke, but I think the, the, the point that Edith make was very clear, which is, uh, and many of the others in the, um, in the comments, the source of capital matters. And some of these biases come from uh, where the source of the capital is. And so if we can get more African um, institutional and individual, uh, individual investors in, maybe things would start to change a bit. Um, so thank you very much, Mark, for joining us and uh, good luck on your next board meeting. Somebody else has just joined and um, is going to take your place, uh, Mark, which is Tony Ndungu, which is, uh, who is a, a well-known podcast and um, startup CEO. Tony, welcome to Nestcast Live. Are you there? I am. Thanks for having me. Uh, I apologize for being a bit late. I had a COVID test I had to go for because my chest is not so good. So everyone on this podcast, please take this seriously. It's, uh, it's actually quite real. But thanks for having me, Jim. And it's been fun to listen in on the conversations. Great. So any open thoughts uh, before we get started with our next questions? Yeah. Why... I think... mm -hmm. Go ahead. The biases are so clear. It's, it's just so easy to listen. But listening to everyone and hearing what everyone is saying, what he is saying, what Marcus said, what Timber said earlier, uh, and some of your speakers. I think we, we are really setting the stage for, for what is the conversation we must have, which is um, uh, what constructed the financial structures we have to this day. Uh, why are we exporting what has successfully worked in Silicon Valley and maybe Hong Kong and Shenzhen and in, in uh, London and Amsterdam and bringing it into Africa? And why do we find it more comfortable as whether it's venture capitalists, angel investors, or even just as entrepreneurs, why do we find it comfortable to find uh, that 94% of our investment, whether it's in Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, or Ethiopia, or Rwanda, is going to foreign founders. What, what does that say about us, not just as a community and an ecosystem, but just as a, as a people individually? And a lot of what has been said um, is, in my opinion, is like 20% of the problem. You know, talking about traditional investment cycles, yes. Uh, if you look at, you know, venture capital, it started from the days of Andrew Carnegie and Rockefeller many, many years ago, when they were doing steelworks and they had to invest in different people to get you know, successful products. This was a very small community of people. And that's, you know, many hundreds of years ago in countries like Kenya, Uganda, Rwanda, Tanzania, Nigeria. These are, you know, countries that got their independence in the 60s. 
So we're really trying to jump through a couple of generational financial behaviors in a very short period of time. But that still doesn't identify, and in my opinion, quantify uh, the rate of investment that foreign founders have in African countries. And I think it also does a great disproportionate um, disadvantage to African entrepreneurs. And this, is, this has nothing to do specifically with where the founder comes from, uh, but where the idea you know, sits. Where, where does that, where, who are you solving the problems for? So in as much as Timbal and I have been friends for years, I mean, Tim, I've watched OKI from the days long past, and he's watched Kitabu for a while, I recognize that what Timbo is bringing and his expertise will add value to a Kenyan entrepreneur, but it only makes sense if both Timbo and the Kenyan entrepreneur are funded for them to be able to make this partnership work successfully. It makes completely no sense for, for example, Kitabu to live under the shadow of another EdTech company that's not Kenyan-based, and then we have uh, perceptions built around the world of who we are as an EdTech company because of an American company that was in EdTech that came into Africa did something that may have been successful or not successful, and then that shadow then falls on us and they say, oh, because this organization was not able to make it successfully, that means no other organization is gonna be able to do the same. Or if you don't do it the way, for example, Bridge Academies has done it, then it's never gonna succeed. And those are the kind of you know, biases that we really need to address when we talk about, you know, what are the biases in funding on the continent? And I feel like that conversation is still something we haven't touched on just yet. So I'm really excited to get into that. Well, so then let's talk, touch on that next topic. Um, so what, what do we need to do to accelerate this uh, development of the ecosystem in, in, in Africa? And how do we get more of these diverse skills and backgrounds and experiences to be funded? And, and, and that's that question sure, why, don't, why don't we ask you, since uh, you brought that up, well, you, so, so there's very many ways to cut this, 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 this uh, to skin this cat, they say, or to slice this cake. I think the first thing we need to do, like in every situation, is acknowledge that there is a challenge. And, and acknowledging in, it, it is in, in itself a risk that's been taken. Because, for example, if Timbo acknowledges uh, that there is a funding problem and, and he's higher placed to get funding than I am, even if, you know, all things held constant, that, put Timbo's, that can put Timbo's business at risk because basically what he's telling his funders is, hey, I don't think you guys invested in me because you're good VCs or good PEs or good investors. I think you may have invest, invest, invested in me because I'm white and I want to call you out on that, which is not necessarily a smart thing to do as a business person. But that said, when an ecosystem and a community call it out, Three things, in my opinion, happen. The first thing that happens is there's an awakening within the entrepreneurs. And they, as entrepreneurs, recognize that the only real person you can rely on to get the business going forward is other entrepreneurs. It's not necessarily funders. It's other entrepreneurs. Because in as much as I mean, you can raise as much money as you like, but if you don't fit that ecosystem, if you don't have other organizations growing your product, if, you're, if, if there's bile between you and those in your ecosystem, you will not succeed. The second thing I think that's important is that recognition then enables those who put money into organizations and industries to see, okay, so maybe there's something we're missing. And there's been endless research done that diversity does bring more dollars into their accounts of all those who have more diverse boards, more diverse staff, and more diverse businesses and portfolios. So then let's actually put this to test in Africa. Let's see how this goes. But the third thing, and I think the most important thing, is back to what Edith said. It's on us, it's on me, Tony, who's got an edtech company that's running, that's making some money, to turn around and look for other smaller edtech companies or fintech companies or you know, whatever other kitabs out there and put money in it instead of waiting for our dangotes to do it, our you know, high net worth individuals. I, I don't personally believe 
that we're going to change the culture of high net worth individuals who have been involved in real estate and involved in you know bonds and treasury stock and i don't think we're going to change them to all of a sudden start being agile founders because when we're looking at the states we're looking at steve case these are the guys who are speaking up we're looking at you know the paypal mafia this is a group of people who are turning back peter Thiel and putting money in in organizations because they understand the cycle but in africa we don't have people like those they're very few if at all we do so i think then that that then becomes something that we recognize as entrepreneurs that we need to start ourselves and stop waiting to be saved by other funders or organizations or whatever it is so i think those are the that's the first thing i do first of all let's just recognize this as a problem let's speak up about it and let's invite every single person black founders black uh, investors white founders white investors everyone around the table and say how do we make this work for everyone because at the end of the day what we're looking for is good returns and the more diverse the system is the better the returns absolutely so you know speeding up the transition of the investing culture in africa may take time and i think the realistic realization is that uh, a lot of money will continue to come from overseas for a while and the other i think uh, realistic realization is that uh, those investors will come with their inherent biases and so let me just speak from the perspective of an uh, investor myself uh, i invested quite a bit uh, in, in seed stage startups in the u.s um, but also in, in, in a number in Africa and other emerging markets as well. And, you know, at the end of the day, especially at the seed stage, it's about trust, right? Who can you trust and who do you understand? And you, you can call it racist, you can call it a bias, but at the end of the day, we want to be able to understand and trust who we're giving our money to. So given that that's probably going to be the reality over the next years, how do we help investors coming from overseas as well as uh, local investors better understand this issue and create that awareness, but also create change? I want to take that question back to uh, both uh, Edith and uh, Timbo. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more around the importance essentially around getting into the psych psychology of an investor. <clears throat> and look, essentially, this is a problem today because of really the sort of nascent stage of an ecosystem that we're at, right? Mm -hmm. Once you have uh, later stage businesses with more traction and proof, the investment decisions become much more practical when they start looking at the financial model, et cetera, rather than what you have to rely on in an early stage business is, as you say, through trust, you know, what predominantly every investor says is the team and early stage investors invest in the team and as soon as you start talking about investing in people you are then essentially opening up to, to bias now some of the decision making around that is conscious so i sort of often think to myself um i raised my early sort of angel round of three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars and most of that came because they were ex-colleagues or one degree of freedom away from, from my Google network. Connections. Connections. Um, and I asked myself a question, you know, if I didn't have that, how hard would it have been to raise the round? And also, if I was, you know, black, how hard would it have been to raise the round? Now, I don't know the answers to, to those questions, but um, essentially, you know, 
that is what we're up against. There are multiple decision points happening, both in terms of conscious and unconscious. And, you know, I think one thing that really that we're talking about, I think sometimes it can get a bit skewed when we're talking about, let's say, the Kenya or other ecosystems that we talk about expat versus local founders and stuff. What we're talking about here is actually a, a global problem. You know, we can talk about stats that's happening in the Kenya ecosystem, but, you know, from your early you know, question, Jim, like we are talking about racial discrimination. If you look in the Valley in the UK, you know, the statistics and uh, the, the bias in, in the wrong direction to found and invest in uh, startups run by black founders, there is a disproportionately low amount of money there. So this isn't just about a local Kenyan or African problem. We are talking about uh, a global problem. Now, as an ecosystem, it is our responsibility to do this. And so, you know, to talk about, answer some of your, your sort of question around how do we change this? You know, I think the most important thing is that there is transparency. You know, I think um, what we're talking about, we're starting to get some statistics, but I think what you're trying to do, Jim, in this thing is ask investors and understand what is their you know, ratio of investments in, in expats or white versus black founders. So I think transparency of data so we can better understand the problem and ultimately hold accountability to investors is, is really important. Um, the second thing is, I think peer-to-peer -peer support is imperative. And it's something that I feel, and I can speak mainly about the Kenyan ecosystem, is we don't do enough to help each other. And the fact that I had a network and I was white and I was male and I, therefore I was in an extraordinarily more privileged position to be able to, to, to raise money easier than someone like Edith is uh, on a macro scale, obviously a massive challenge that we're addressing, but it's also a reality. And given that, the, the opportunity is for me, given that now investors in the US, they all made their first investments in Africa through me. Now, it's also my responsibility to make sure that I can introduce them to other founders. And it's also other founders' responsibility that they come to me and be like, hey, who's your network? Who can you introduce me to? And so I feel like there's a lot more synergy that can happen between you know, peer-to-peer -peer startups. And I can only count on one hand the number of founders of, 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 of startups um, in Kenya who have come to me who have said, you know, could you make any introductions to, to your investors? Um, and so I think peer-to-peer -peer support is, is, is critical. Now, it's interesting in, in the U.S., um, much, much of the money that goes into at least early-stage startup uh, VCs do come from former entrepreneurs. So that tells you a little bit about, I mean, in, in my mind, what VCs do is simply a reflection to a certain extent of their LPs. So I think where the money comes from absolutely matters. Let me just tell you one personal anecdote. Uh, in, I invested in a venture fund uh, many, many years ago um, in, in 2007. And uh, I attended one of the LP meetings once. And mind you, these general partners, these venture capitalists didn't go around and say, I only want white male investors. I'll take money from anywhere, of course. But I think I was the only non-white LP in the room of about 100. Wow. Right? So 
a lot of the fundraising that happened from those GPs were done through their networks. And so I think your point is very well taken, Timbo, in terms of, look, a lot of this happens through networks. A lot of this happens through connections. And so we need to help each other or entrepreneurs need to help each other and getting connected to the right uh, networks. All right, so I, I actually wanna turn it a little bit to the audience and um, uh, there was a person from Send It Money, I don't have a name here, um, who, who I'm gonna read this and then please unmute yourself and I'd love to hear uh, the, the background why you wrote this question. Quote unquote, most black and African startup investment rounds are 90% funded by white investors and foreign investors. The question we must ask ourselves is this, is it that blacks and Africans don't invest in our own community or because they have no clue about the opportunities in the tech ecosystem? Uh, send it. I'm sorry. Please introduce yourself. What's your name? Michael, yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, thanks for picking up. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, good to be here. I'm Michael also founder of Send It The Money. I've been within the tech ecosystem in Africa and for a very long time. And when we people talk about raising money, I think there's some re-education we need to start having before we start looking into someone bringing money from Silicon Valley or someone bringing money from um, LPs in the developed world. A very good example in Kenya, in 2018, there is a startup that I did mentor and we met someone, a high net worth individual in Kenya, who promised to invest a invest million dollars. What this gentleman did is he listens to the whole idea for about six months and then he went at the back trying to pitch all the team members and trying to use that money to fund that startup. Number one, he has no clear about that space. He doesn't understand the problem the startup is trying to solve. And what happened? They lose that $1 million, they waste it in trial and error, leaving the entrepreneurs that have the local knowledge and the agility to turn that resources around into a possible tenants. So it's, 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 I, I'm personally frustrated hearing, black, I've been an investor myself from 2016, 2018 and I invest predominantly in African startups. And I'm an entrepreneur myself at the moment. A friend of mine that started, um, um, Elizabeth, is a finance, which was a big person. So within, when you look at this ecosystem, you're looking at the Kenyan ecosystem, you, it took time for Kenyans, entrepreneurs in Kenya, to begin to come together and begin to think, hang on a minute, most founders in Kenya are actually foreign founders. What is wrong with us? An interesting thing is when, when you look at Kenyan ecosystem, for example, you have your government putting tax force in place, talking to entrepreneurs, trying to see ways that it can help. How many African leaders are doing that? So we should stop all this blame game of race and equality. There is nothing called equality, folks. It's just a myth. It's about thinking ownership, creating something. Africans rallying around. That education doesn't have to come from outside. It comes from inside. Nigerian, Kenya, Ghana, South Africa, have loads, loads of high net individuals. These individuals all put their money in Swiss accounts, doing nothing. In Nigeria, you have high net individuals burying money on the ground. <laughs> this, is, this is a kind of mental, mental madness that sometimes we need to question ourselves and ask ourselves. So right. the question here is, instead of looking outward, let us look inward and start that reorientation and re-education within ourselves and begin to see, because the banks as well play a very good game in this. Look at Nigeria, for example, where the CBN are actually making laws that actually thwart and frustrate investors within that ecosystem. In UK, for example, 80% of pre-seed and seed funds 
come through EIS and SEIS scheme, which is a scheme that actually incentivizes investors, everyday investors, to invest in startups. How many government have incentives in place to encourage local investors to invest in startups? It's zero to none. So Thank you for that. There, so, so there's another, there's another um, um, audience member who raised an interesting point, uh, Opiolua Ashimi. Sorry if I pronounced that incorrectly. But uh, talking about uh, China's model of, of uh, insisting on foreign businesses, I mean, I think it's talking to what you're saying about legislation and government uh, regulations and policies to encourage additional impact. Now, mind you, even in the U.S., for example, there are incredible tax incentives to invest in startup companies. In fact, you can invest in a startup company, make $50 million and have that be 100% tax-free, right? So um, legislation matters. So uh, Opiolua, would you like to make some comments about that? Let me just read uh, the, the person's uh, comment. Oh, go ahead, please. So just very quickly, can you summarize your, your comment? Uh, thank you, Jim. My, my point is that uh, um, from the previous comment I'd also made earlier, we have to understand that the whole um, tech uh, entrepreneurship and venture capital investment is actually new within the um, African um, investment space. Africans are used to debt investment. We always have family and friend rounds where you get uh, a family and friend to borrow you the money, but people don't really understand the equity investment state. And it's still new, it's still a young ecosystem, still seven years, seven to 10 years old, unlike uh, the, the American ecosystem. And Americans and, and Europeans, of course, they look at patterns. So if, if the language that you're speaking is not what they're used to, they, they of course would prefer to invest in their own people. And that is where the impact of legislation then comes in. If the government is saying, look, you, you want to invest in our country, you want to do business in our country, then you first of all must make sure that you have a co-founder who's a local and that business must have uh, a certain equity um, investment that is allocated to, to local um, entrepreneurs. For example, I've worked with... Uh, um, some VCs that were trying to set up their own local funds in, in Nigeria. And I made it clear to them that this, this is what entails right now, but this is why things are failing and this is why where you can make a difference. And I'm so happy to see that when they eventually set up their funds, they were able to capture that in that they ensure that they invest in local entrepreneurs. And I think they've done about six investments now, all local entrepreneurs invested in, and they still match them with um, foreign support. And that then brings in both the, the, the flow of, um, of expertise. For example, when China's ecosystem was developing, it was more about learning and then getting more um, knowledge into, into that ecosystem. So everybody would say China then was a copycat, but now China is no longer a copycat because the knowledge itself, the knowledge ecosystem had grown and they can stand on their own. And that is where even if African iNetwork individuals don't understand yet, the VC model or the private equity model, the government can protect the, the entrepreneurs, the local entrepreneurs, by ensuring that there is a knowledge flow and also that local entrepreneurs are invested in through legislation. Great. Thank you very much, Opio Lua. So, uh, uh, you know, connected to that, there was another comment from uh, Kenneth Legacy. And let me just read that very quickly. On a scale of ecosystem maturity, I would argue most African ecosystems are still nascent and evolving with no second generation of entrepreneurs. Um, and so how should we be deciding how we speed this up? 
getting African DFIs and government capital to participate affirmatively may be a solution. So uh, great. Well, thank you for that. Um, we're, we're unfortunately running out of time. So I'd like to hear some final words from each of the panelists before we, we end this uh, session for this week. Who would like to start? Edith? Okay. Tony? Um, let me start. Um, I think something that's really um, hit me as well as people were talking um, is the importance of sending the elevator down, right? So we have entrepreneurs in Africa, in Kenya, in whatever space you're in, right? That are at some point in their journey, right? So you've either raised money or you're doing well, or you have backing, support, networks, whatever it is. We need to create a culture of when you get to the top, send the elevator back down. Send the support back down because you know what it was like, right? Starting off and not just leaving it to say the Ediths of the world who have social enterprises that support entrepreneurs. No, that each of you takes it upon yourself, right? To mentor this and this founder, to support this and this founder. And that you keep it in mind that um, every three months, I'll have five that I mentor, that I support, that I send the elevator back down to, that I make sure has a connection to funding, a connection to support, right? So I think that's one thing that we can do ourselves, right, as entrepreneurs on this side of the game. Um, there's also the element that I wanted to remind people of is that when it comes to funding, right? So there's the whole thing of not being funded. And then there's the element of when you're funded, right? You're only being given say $50,000 compared to say a white male who's raising around of 1.4 million. And something that I have had to do as a, as a founder, right? And something that me and my co-founders have had to do is to say no, right guys? So it gets to a point where the investor is there, right? But they're trying to bully you. They're trying to take advantage because they know you need the money. So they're trying to push you into a box of, oh, sell 45%, sell this, that, that, that. Um, and, and you end up with a much smaller round. And I think it's okay to know your worth. It's okay to be like, okay, I need the money, but I still know what my business, my company is worth. And if you're giving, say, 20 times that amount to a white, a white founder, then it's okay for me to say no. Um, and then there's still the element of, guys, let's come up with a round table, right? So Tony brought this up. Why don't we have a group of entrepreneurs who, um, who have raised certain amounts of revenue that we can come together and literally put small amounts of money and over time it will add up and support other entrepreneurs. I'm not going to wait for my government because I have been waiting for my government on roads, on electricity, on many for so long and I'm tired of waiting for government. I think we need to do what we can right now um, and progress with it. Um, and I think also having conversations like these are really important. So thank you so much, Jim. Thank you, Timbo. Thank you, everyone that has spoken. I really genuinely appreciate you guys and what you're doing. And just this- Thank platform. you, Edith, for joining the conversation. Tony, well, thoughts? I just, yeah, I would just, three points. Um, the first one is, is uh, something I would, I would warn my brothers and sisters in Africa, more, more or less a piece of advice. I would not compare the 54 African countries the same way people compare the 50 American states. You know, whatever works in Nigeria doesn't work in Kenya or Cote d'Ivoire or South Africa or, or Ghana. And the reason I say that is because we're making a mistake and it's a big flaw 
to think that because we are Africans, we look at things and see things the same way. I agree that we are one people, but then our cultures and our traditions and the way we do things is different. And the reason I say this is because anybody who purports that uh, racism is something that should be discussed, we should just put that aside and do things ourselves, doesn't understand why the ecosystem in Kenya is as great and grand as it is, and why the ecosystem in other parts of the continent haven't succeeded as, as meaningfully as they should. And, and they, that, which leads me to the second point, uh, they, they don't cancel themselves out. Yes, there definitely needs to be more African-driven investment in African-driven businesses, no doubt. I would love to see the day when African investors put money in white-driven businesses or white-founded businesses. I mean, all of this, when it comes down to it, is where is the value and how can we add value to it? But then what it does mean is we must address all the challenges. We must address, as Jimmy said really quickly, that the money is still going to keep coming from abroad and we need to create trust metrics that work for everyone. But at the same time, let's address the biases that they may be there, whether it's patriarchy or gender or race, and figure out how to solve those problems so that we can make this work for everyone. Because at the end of the day, it's how much money and impact we have as businesses. But the third thing I think I'll say to finish up, finish up is let's be the change, like Edith has said, that we want to see. I've invested in six companies myself, uh, and I lost money in three, and I made Bravo. money in three. And Bravo. so those are the kind of things that we need to do. And not just in Kenya. I've done Kenya, I've done Uganda, and I've done Rwanda. And they are not huge sums, you know, they're not in the tens of thousands of dollars, except one, most of them are in the, you know, small thousands of dollars. But then that was a, something I needed to do because I felt like, you know, this, is a, this could be a good business. And I exited two of them and they went on to raise one twenty-five thousand another $65,000. And it feels good to be able to say I'm part of this little movement. So let's get back and do that because we can't wait for ourselves to exit and sell 10, 50, $100 million companies to go back and say we're going to invest in the ecosystem. As, as one of the writers said, we are very nascent. So yes, before we finish our race, let's pick somebody up and see if we can be able to keep running with them. And I think that's the, that plus conversations like the one you put together, Jim, and all the conversations going on on other podcasts with people I see here in my podcast, hopefully is going to get people to get involved in the conversation because what we definitely need to do is become the change we seek to see. Well, so I, I expect you to be connecting with Mark Curia then to start this uh, African-focused uh, LP uh, venture fund. And even though I'm not African, please include me as part of that LP base, please. All right, uh, Timbo, thoughts? Yeah, as I said, I, I think what we're talking about here is, is a problem that is really at a, at a global scale, um, you know, where we talk about both racial and gender bias, um, not just in fundraising, but in many aspects of, of, of life. Um, personally, you know, I know that I'm on the extremely lucky, lucky and privileged side, and that has no doubt had a hand in helping me and the business um, raise money. Um, however, it has been unbelievably hard, and, and, and honestly, I can't imagine how hard it is when you have extra bias against you because of the color of your skin or because of, the, because of your sex. Um, you know, I think these conversations are critical. I think great work, Jim, and also everyone else that's contributing. Um, this is what helps. I think transparency is, is, is so important. I think you see so much work happening, let's say, in, in, in companies where they have to report their gender diversity numbers, um, and, and even more so, like, also racial diversity numbers. And you know, I think that trying to drive that from an investor perspective to hold investors accountable, uh, I think is critical. Um, but ultimately, I feel it's on us as, as entrepreneurs. You know, yes, we are in uh, an extraordinarily difficult position, 
but we ourselves can help ourselves. And um, by, you know, entrepreneurs and founders supporting making introduction, whether it's me making introductions to an investor um, who is outside of a, you know, local Kenyan founders network or vice versa, we both need to help each other. And ultimately, you know, I think we will make the significant change when the people who are having this conversation today are able to build successful companies, make some exits, and then are in a position to invest their money. Um, and, you know, I think you, Kendall, others um, are, are great examples of that. And, you know, we're early in the ecosystem. And the more we can help each other, not just in the subject, but just generally supporting entrepreneurs supporting each other so we can help each other's companies grow faster, exit faster, invest back into the ecosystem. You know, it's a long-term play, but ultimately I feel like that is how we solve, um, solve for this problem. Got it. So the, the answer is we just all need to make more money and we're all good. And I, then, I agree with that one. Absolutely. That's important you can't just make money. <laughs> You've been invested back in. Well, I, I want to give a quick little plug to um, the, the the other show that we produce uh, called The Nest, where we actually have um, entrepreneurs from emerging markets, um, including Sub-Saharan Africa, of course, North Africa, as well as other parts of uh, Southeast Asia and Latin America. Um, we try to put uh, those entrepreneurs directly in front of angel investors from different parts of the world. And what uh, we found is that by simply having that direct contact, a lot of the barriers to this investing, which I believe a lot of it is, you know, of course there is um, racial bias, but a lot of it is also about just the networks that you're in and simply having the opportunity to get in front of the right investors. So we've seen, I think, some incredible uh, entrepreneurs get in front of investors and really see some money flow. So I encourage you to subscribe to and join us for our next conversation. It's Thursday, every Thursday at 9 a.m. Pacific time, uh, 7 p.m. Uh, Nairobi time. Join us there. And uh, I thank everyone for being part of this conversation. And I hope you guys can be part of this ongoing conversation about topics relevant to investing and entrepreneurship in emerging markets. Thank you very much, everybody, for being part of the show. And I hope to see you next time on Nestcast Live. And don't forget, listen and subscribe to our podcast at anchor.fm slash Nestcast Live. And follow us on Nest and Twitter. I'm sorry, on LinkedIn and Twitter at Find the Nest and follow Untapped. Thanks, everyone. Have a good week. <laughs>